You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Abe Shapiro speaks with attorney Jeremiah Fry Pearson about a lawsuit against the rideshare company Lyft over its alleged lack of wheelchair-accessible vehicles, or WAVs. More in today's Disabulletin. Also coming up in the next half hour, I'll be live in the studio with WFHB news staff in light of the 2022 Fall Fun Drive. But first, your local headlines. Hi, this is Benedict Jones. I'm a volunteer anchor here at WFHB Community Radio. WFHB needs community support for news programs like the timely and relevant WFHB local news, which I truly love to deliver to our listeners. That's you, three times a week for more than five years now. We also need support for our ongoing diverse and enriching cultural and music programs, like one of my favorites, Reggae Children. We need your support because maintaining an independent voice in local journalism is a rare and special opportunity for this community. The Bloomington community's ability to understand and address important issues is equally as powerful, and WFHB is the outlet that serves a piece of that puzzle for many people. Your generous monthly donation of $5, $10, or $20 per month allows us to fund programs like the WFHB Local News throughout the year. Please make a donation today by calling 812-323-1200 or visiting WFHB.org. Thank you for supporting WFHB Community Radio. At the Bloomington City Council meeting on September 7th, Councilmember Steve Volan encouraged students to register to vote in Bloomington before the October 11th deadline. Volan said that students spend the majority of their time in Bloomington and should be able to vote for their representatives whose decisions impact them for at least the next four years. If there's ever been any doubt in the minds of college students about where they should register to vote, the answer is unequivocally where they go to college and not wherever it was, quote-unquote, back home. The uh, 26th Amendment guarantees 18 years old and older the right to vote, has for 50 years. Uh, the census has always counted people where they uh, spend most of their time, what the census calls your usual residence, uh, where you spend the majority of your time in the year before census day. The census website says unequivocally that students uh, in college should be counted where they go to college. Um, the, uh, the rules for registering to vote 
And in no state in the country does it take more than 30 days to change, to establish residency for the purpose of voting. Indiana is one of those states, but there are plenty of states where you can register on the same day that you vote. At any rate, the uh, deadline this year for registering to vote is October 11th for this very important midterm election. Uh, but the, the gist of my message is that if you drink the, wherever you drink the water, wherever you ride the bus, wherever, uh, whatever fire department sends an engine to your house when you call 911, that is the place where you reside for the, uh, and the place you should care about for the purpose of voting. Uh, despite the fact that students may not know the area or may be new to voting, doesn't make it any less important what we do here on this day is every week. We vote on all those issues and other issues that affect the daily lives of students and non-students alike. But uh, there are no shortage of uh, non-students who would say to students, you don't count, you're not from here, you shouldn't vote here. I'm just here to say that that's unequivocally not true. And you should be registering to vote. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to, you can still vote at home, uh, what you consider to be your former home, but this is home now, and it will be for several years, regardless of how many times you may change your street address in that several years that you're a student. You're still a resident of Bloomington. We're still going to be voting on those things that affect your daily life. So uh, that's the gist of it. I want to encourage everyone to register to vote uh, by October 11th if you're in the state of Indiana, if you're in the city of Bloomington, no matter what your, your uh, work status as long as you are going to be 18 years old uh, on November 8th. Thank you. During public comment, Friends of Lake Monroe Watershed Coordinator Maggie Sullivan shared with the council findings from their executive summary from the Watershed Management Plan they finished this spring. She also addressed complaints of the smell and taste of the city's tap water, which is sourced from Lake Monroe. The three big issues for Lake Monroe are sediment, nutrients, and E. coli is not actually a concern in the lake, but it is in some of the streams that feed into the lake, and it could potentially be a concern in the future. Uh, I think we're perhaps more aware of the nutrients issue right now that we're seeing some algal blooms in the lake that are impacting the taste of our drinking water. Uh, I do want to thank CBU for doing a great job providing us with safe, reliable water, and they're trying their best to work on that taste issue. Our goal is to work on that source water and get that cleaner so that it's easier to process. Next, Volan presented a resolution to expand transportation services outside of the city to reach Daniels Way near Ivy Tech and Cook Incorporated. He said this would help transport workers and commuters since this is a major employment area for the city. Volan elaborated on the resolution. And so what you have before you is nothing more than a a resolution saying that the city council supports the idea of expanding service um, to outside the city. Now it is uh, assuming that an agreement can be hammered out. Uh, this resolution simply places the city council on the record for the first time uh, formally as supporting an expansion of services outside the city. But it is still up to the mayor and the county commissioners to hammer out that agreement. There are several other significant agreements that the executives of city and county have been trying to hammer out in recent years. I see this resolution as simply removing a source of doubt for the mayor and for all of our county colleagues. 
for us to approve this simply says, yes, the city council is supportive of a deal and willing to do its part upon its completion. Volan explained what the cost to the county would be based on Bloomington Transit's predictions. What this resolution calls for is for the county to fund only the marginal increase in costs. In other words, we're already going to be running the buses. We're already going to be hiring the drivers. There's no need for a separate bus system. So whatever the marginal increase in costs to go another 25% further, that's going to fall to the county. And that will be up to the executives of city and county to work out the exact details. Uh, And I'm agnostic about what other agreements they may include uh, uh, when discussing this topic. Councilmember Ron Smith said the project is feasible if the county and the city are able to come to an agreement. Which makes it um, a, quite a doable thing, you know, with our expressing that. And if they would come to an agreement, it would be, seems, seems to me, um, a very doable project uh, in a, in a uh, long as they can come to an agreement. During public comment on the resolution, Indiana University student David Wolf Bender expressed his support for the resolution. Public transit is related very closely to equity. It's directly correlated with equity, the ability to access jobs, the ability to access education. You can look at cities across the United States, from New York to Washington, even here to Bloomington, transit is directly correlated uh, with equity. So expanding uh, transit is an expansion uh, of equity. The second reason is that there are actually students attending Indiana University uh, who also take courses at Ivy Tech. This is not something that a lot of people actually think about. A lot of students don't think about this. Uh, this is a process or a This is called double listing, uh, where you take courses at Indiana University, but also concurrently take a few courses uh, at Ivy Tech's Bloomington campus uh, that can transfer back to your four-year degree uh, at IU. So uh, expanding this line would allow for students who might be double listing at IU to have another way to get to Ivy Tech that wouldn't be with a single occupancy vehicle, uh, which are obviously very bad for the climate. And it might allow people who don't have a single occupancy vehicle to be able to get to Ivy Tech easier. Uh, The third thing is there are people, there are students uh, who take courses at IU uh, who stay here during the summers and may elect to take uh, a course or two or three or four at Ivy Tech uh, at their Bloomington campus during the summer. Um, Maybe it's more cost effective. Maybe there were no more seats in a summer class. Uh, So expanding this route would, would give lots of opportunity for people during the summers. Uh, as, as well. So this is good for climate. Uh, it's a good expansion of city services. Gives another option uh, compared to single occupancy vehicles. Uh, and those are just some of the reasons uh, why IUSG is in support of this uh, resolution tonight. So we encourage its passage. Thank you very much. Thank you. The council unanimously approved the resolution to express support for the extension of Bloomington Transit Services to Daniels Way. The next regular session of the city council will be held on September 21st. Hi, this is WFHB News Director Cade Young, and we are live in the studio with WFHB correspondent and producer of our program, Disabilitin, Abe Shapiro. Welcome to the program, Abe. Good to be here, Cade. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So tell me a little bit about your experience at WFHB so far and sort of what community radio means to you. Well, I have to say it's been a very welcoming environment for me. Uh, the, the community really opened uh, 
welcomed me with open arms and uh, you know it's really been one of acceptance into a family of sorts which I believe is committed to providing our fellow members of society particularly in Bloomington with that same idea of acceptance be that shown in the entertainment we provide such as firehouse theater the latest happenings in our society as we do in the local news department uh, or the musical expressions of our society as in the many themed musical segments our station has. In other words, community radio to me is a marketplace of ideas, as Justice William O. Douglas put it in his uh, 53 court case, Rumley v. U.S., which in itself actually talked about the First Amendment and questioning it. Absolutely. Well, that, that's what we want to hear, you know, given our, our station promoting diversity and, and kind of uh, getting a little a little taste of, of everything when it comes to, to culture. Um, so, Abe, I wanted to ask you, why should listeners open up their wallets to donate to WFHB during our fall fund drive? I'll tell you, number one, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> no, no. But, uh, well, going back to my Marketplace of Ideas discussion, uh, WFHB is listener and community supported. It's the core of why we exist it's the core of our business model and so this means our station thrives because we seek to hear and spread the opinions and expressions of our society and what's more such an operation mirrors the very goal of our nation america itself freedom to express oneself and be heard by those who seek the same most importantly though is that Rather than just those in our radio family expressing themselves, we also invite others to join us. The foundation of radio, and in my opinion, human nature, is really to be heard. And by people donating to our community and opening the wallets, they're in essence donating to uphold the philosophy of our nation and that all of us, I believe, in this world believe in, which is, regardless of background, uh, political beliefs, ability, and identity, I believe that by opening their wallets, people are endorsing the belief, the universal belief, that individual expression is for the betterment of a more perfect union. Most definitely. Um, Well, listen, in light of, of those words, we need your help to support the airing of the WFHB local news. We need to raise $200 during this very program to cover the cost it takes to keep our news department local and independent without any corporate funding. So please call us right now at 812-323-1200 or donate online at wfhb.org to make a donation through our website. Thank you for your time and thank you for supporting your community radio station, WFHB. In today's Disabulletin, WFHB correspondent Abe Shapiro speaks with attorney Jeremiah Fry Pearson about a lawsuit against the rideshare company Lyft over its alleged lack of wheelchair-accessible vehicles, or WAVs. 
Lyft officials cited limited supply of wheelchair-accessible vehicles and driver availability as reasons why WAVs are only available to Lyft riders in nine cities across the entire U.S. To provide more insight on the issue, we turn to part two of an interview with attorney Jeremiah Fry Pearson of the disability rights group Westchester Disabled and Move Incorporated. Just to clarify as well, what specific ADA stipulations or laws would this lawsuit apply to? So they're violating the Americans with Disability Act, uh, Title II, and there's a variety of sections within Title II that they're violating. They're violating the New York State human rights law, and they're actually violating the New York City human rights law. Even though they provide their best service in New York City, they also intentionally sabotage that service. So what Lyft does in New York City is they make sure they hit the metrics they have to make to not get in trouble with the TLC. And as soon as they hit those metrics, they try not to do even a little bit better. And the reason for that is if the metrics are iterative, so if they do better one quarter, they have to do better the next quarter. So they want to just barely pass. So everywhere Lyft operates, it fights against providing good service to people with disabilities. And that's a mindset that has to change. And I understand as well, you ran for state assembly two years ago. How did this experience impact your understanding of civil rights, particularly within the realm of civil rights for people in this court case? You know, honestly, I I had a great experience running for office. I didn't win, but the person who ran, uh, the person who won is a great supporter of this cause. And, you know, running for office, you speak with a lot of people and you hear their problems. And so that that highlighted to me some of the great unfairness, but I think I knew about it beforehand when we started the lawsuit. But in terms of stories, things that have happened to people because of the failure to serve wheelchair users, there's two stories that stick out to me, one kind of funny and the other one sad. The one that's kind of funny is a friend of mine told me this story. He's a wheelchair user. So he was, I think, in his mid-20s at the time, and he went out with his buddies. They all went out drinking. It's about 2.30 in the morning. Everyone's intoxicated. Everyone calls a cab and goes home, except my friend, Kenny, can't call a cab because there's no one who serves him. So he can't call the list because he knows they won't serve him. So at 2.30 in the morning, while he's drunk, he's got to call his mom to come pick him up from the bar. Any of us who've been a drunk man in our 20s at a bar wanting to go home at the end of the night, we would not want our mom to be the call we have to make. And if Lyft didn't discriminate, that wouldn't be the call. One story that's actually mind-blowingly sad to me is another individual, I believe Ansel. Ansel was, I forget exactly where he was. He was wheeling around in his power chair and there was an unexpected snowstorm. So he couldn't wheel home because of the snow. Couldn't call Lyft because Lyft refuses to serve him, even though as an able-bodied person, I could call Lyft immediately. And there's no immediate transportation available to him in the town where he was. So after making a bunch of phone calls, he eventually called 911, even though he had no injury. He was taken to a hospital, and he had to wait overnight in the hospital until the local paratransit could come get him. And then they did, and then they took him home. Now, what if Lyft just didn't have the blocker on? Real good chance that Ansel could have gone to his phone, clicked, and could have had a Lyft ride immediately. And if not immediately, he would have waited. Instead of spending the entire night in the hospital, he would have waited as long as it took until Lyft could have sent him a wave, which, as an able-bodied person, if I've got to wait an hour for a car, Lyft gives me that option. 
is to give that option to people with disabilities instead of assuming that Ansel would rather have no service than spend the night in the hospital when he had no illness. And we are back live in the studio with WFHB correspondent Abe Shapiro. Hello, hello. Welcome back, Abe. It's good to have you here. Good to be here as always. So, Abe, would you talk about going, you know, way back here, would you talk about why you decided to join WFHB in the first place? That's for many reasons, but one of them, chief among them being I joined WFHB because I sought to bring a voice to the voiceless. And in my case, that's individuals with disabilities, since they are a group that really up until recently was often not illustrated by their own preferences, but by those outside of the disabled community. So my goal was to create, as I said prior, a marketplace of ideas and to reinforce that wherein all those in the disability community have a chance for non-judgmental expression. And that's what I have sought to do in my advocacy in the Bloomington area. And really what I do on Disabilitin is to bring that voice. Most definitely. And to my knowledge, there's no other place on the FM dial or in, in local media that is devoted to disability rights. So I think you're you're really doing an essential need in our community that, you know, you really can't find anywhere else. Um, So with that, Abe, what is your favorite part about community radio? Well, my favorite part of community radio is that such a philosophy of radio gives a voice to the voices, as I said before, in contrast to the belief, and I would say it's not, not commonplace, but I'd say it definitely circulates that all forms of modern communication, quote, force, end quote, a voice upon our society. But community radio, such as what we do, does more than simply serve as a pipeline of information to our members of society, but encourages our members of society to live and learn, as is my catchphrase at the end of each and every uh, news program. And the reason I say it is because members of society have the right to live according to one's preference, but it is important that they be open to hearing from those that also seek a meaningful life and may have differing preferences. And, you know, more of a just society in a world will come to be when we are able to achieve uh, such, a, uh, such a society where individuals with differing beliefs can live together, but also learn together. And obviously, we've done a great job in furthering unity, but I would say not just in an overt fashion, but in a co- or a covert fashion, but in an overt fashion as well. So that means not just based on ability and whatnot, but also acknowledging others' ideas. And that's what community radio does. Most definitely in that increased polarization, I think gets diminished a little bit um, by tuning into to local news, local independent media. And, you know, in light of our fall fund drive, 
WFHB News needs your support to keep things running. We air the news four nights a week, and we're looking to expand our scope in the news department to fill the need of more local, independent coverage right here in our community. But it takes funding from you to make that happen. So if you seek a marketplace of ideas, please support independent journalism here at WFHB by calling 812-323-1200. And again, that's 812-323-1200 and making a donation over the phone. Remember, we need to raise $200 during this program, but give what you can. Any amount is accepted. You can also visit WFHB.org to make a donation through our website. So again, as I mentioned, Marketplace of Ideas is very important to the foundation of any community, in my opinion, and WFHB does that. So again, make sure to call 812-323-1200 or go online to our website, WFHB.org, to make that happen. Thank you for your time and consideration. Up next, the old and the new on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn now to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. The American Association of Retired Persons shortened their name some time ago, and now they're officially just AARP. They do focus on people 50 years and older, which is about a third of the U.S. population, but when it comes to scams and swindles, AARP's researches and warnings are important for everyone. Here are some of the new wrinkles, you should pardon the expression, that they've turned up recently. The Google Voice Scam. If you post a notice online that includes your telephone number, maybe you're selling something or want help to find a lost pet, whatever, you get a call from someone who says they're interested. Maybe they can help, but they want to make sure you're not a scammer. So they're going to use Google Voice to check you out. Google Voice is a service you can get for your computer or smartphone that lets you dial numbers, write voicemail, make lists, and do other things just by speaking. The caller says you're going to get a verification code on your phone and asks you to read it back to them. If you do, the caller will quickly discover they can't help you after all and hang up, and then will set up a new Google Voice account in your name and pretend to be you while running various con jobs on other people. The lesson is simple. Never, ever share verification codes with anyone. 
Google Voice can actually help keep you safe if you're looking for a job, because fraudsters are targeting people who post resumes and search for jobs online, and suckering far too many people with fake job offers, usually work-from-home deals. If you're looking for work, set up a separate email account and get a free Google Voice telephone number that will ring calls through to your phone, but keep your real phone number private. And, of course, be aware that any job offer, which promises lots of money for doing very little work right in your own home, is just too good to be true. So many people do business with Amazon these days that swindlers find it easy to pretend to be Amazon employees and send fake messages about unauthorized purchases, suspicious activity in your account, raffles and prizes, lots of different kinds of bait. If you get an unexpected message from Amazon, do not reply to it. Instead, go to Amazon's website and get in touch with them directly. Finally, AARP reports that there have been a lot of con artists lately pretending to be local or state tax officials, calling or emailing or texting about back taxes owed and demanding money. Remember that real tax people always send letters in the U.S. mail. And even if you get one, you should get in touch directly and make sure it really came from the local government. It doesn't matter how old you are. The grifters are out there, and you'd better beware. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for WFHB is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Abe Shapiro. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB News, I'm Abe Shapiro. Live and learn. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. 
Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions, climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 